Welcome in to Minions and Musings. Hey, it's Evil Jeff back behind the mic once again. It is the deep dive on the BX Companion. It is now part eight, Dragon Master information. Now you might be thinking, wait a minute, Dragon Master? I thought this was supposed to be, you know, like D&D, Does Dungeon Master. Well, remember, this is not TSR stuff, this is somebody else. And during that time frame of this being put out, uh, I believe, as somebody pointed out, the OGL would not allow you to use the term Dungeon Master. Um, but I think it also it put their spin on this. So that's why it is Dragon Master information. So, we've got part eight coming up at you. What is inside the book? Part eight, Dragon Master information, takes up seven pages right at the back end of our book. It's laid out in the same manner as we have with our expert and basic rule set and many of the high-level headings that we see in the book are pretty much the same. The first one is exactly the same, handling player characters. Now, if you remember back in our expert and basic rules, well, at least expert rules, you're talking about save versus ability, you know, as an optional thing. Uh, rules for foraging, rules for swimming, you know, or some guidelines in there. And that's what we have here, and it starts off with armor limitations. And it goes in with why, a little bit, why you want to do it. But here is where it deviates, because now they're saying, well, if you want to change things up a little bit, try these applications instead. Like, we know thieves only wear leather armor, because heavier armors interfere with their ability to perform thief skills. So why not just say, hey, you start using uh, metal things. There are certain things you cannot do. Like, you want to pick pockets? Well, if you have leather armor, okay, I can see that. But you got, oh, you, you're wearing metal armor where the gauntlets that are part of that set are going to be on your hands? Then it interferes. If you're wearing the metal helmet that comes with chain and plate armor, it basically says you hear just the same as everybody else. Even goes into talking about magic users being restricted. Uh, fun part was that if you want to have a magic user wearing any armor, they have a straight 50% chance of uh, failure modified for every plus of wisdom uh, that the PC has and no spell of 6th level or higher can be cast while wearing armor. And if you are wearing armor then it, and you're not supposed to wear that type of armor you get minus 1 penalty to the armor class as well so I mean yeah not really going forward and saying sure you need to do it. We also talk about demi-human limitations, 
why they're there, the level limits. Um, nothing really earth-shattering except for the second paragraph, I believe, which starts off, one thing to consider is that the game is human-centric. As in, real-life humans are versatile and ambitious, uh, able to choose different skill sets, and pursue the heights of achievements. Deeming humans are not as versatile as their counterparts. And by the time you're hearing this, you probably have heard some of this talk going back and forth in other podcasts, maybe on the Audio Dungeon Discord server. Knowing that dwarves and elves and everything, they're not the same as the humans. Don't play elves as pointy-ear humans. And how difficult that might be for some people. So it goes into it and basically does not allow you to sit there and say, hey, let's get beyond it. We want them to be as ambitious. It basically puts the kibosh on it and says, hey, no. You know, it's not really not really cool. We give you some extra little abilities as you go along, but they were meant to be limit, you know, have limitations because of the nature of the demi-human. Next little section is on magical research and production. Not many paragraphs here at all. It's like five paragraphs, but goes into mentioning that dwarfs, once you get them to name level and everything, may be able to start creating some of these magic items without having to be magical themselves, but gives an interesting thing. Like, let's say a dwarf lord wants to create a ring or a sword of wishes. It says they may need to find a way to distill the essence of an ifrit into this item. Probably one ifrit per wish. I was like, Hadn't thought about that. Sounds kind of cool and pretty dangerous and not your normal fare. So already, you know, kind of giving you this idea as the Dragon Master, if you're going to do it, it needs to be a, it needs to be hard. It cannot be easy. Talks about high-level mages want to create powerful magic items and going through it, talking about how the cost of gold and time should be immense for these some of these things like try and create a flying ship or a floating castle or something like that uh, the cost there let's say 500,000 gold or more the time I love the way they list the time here one week or one month per 1,000 gold pieces for an item and points out that very you know that a normal mage would only be able to create a few of these things in a single lifetime you know let's keep magic special at these really really high levels so i did like that little piece but again nothing earth shattering yet before i get too far i'd be remiss and not pointing out what the rule cyclopedia has to say about that with the dealing with 
player characters and everything, that's all throughout the book, so nothing really earth-shattering to be said there. Uh, when you look at magical research and production in the Rules Cyclopedia, it's expanded. You're talking about six pages worth, at least, of how to go about making these magical items, magical constructs, and even has uh, information about making huge magic items. Okay, that's the airships, the magical castles, etc. like that. So if you want more detail, then okay, Rule Cyclopedia's got you covered. You want to make up your own stuff, well, BX Companion basically says, here, do it on your own. I'm not helping you out any more than I need to. <laughs> Let's continue on with the next little section in the BX Companion, which is the upkeep, dominions, and rulership. Now this actually takes a slightly different name because back in my uh, expert rule set this was castles strongholds and hideouts you know we were just talking about building castles and these things how much it's going to cost now in the companion we're talking about you've got it built your lord over an area what next and it goes through their own set of rules here for uh, if you establish a dominion over an area, then because you, know, you build a stronghold, now you've got these people. How many people or families within a certain radius of the stronghold? You know how far do you have to search and everything out there? An interesting note that I saw in here was mentioning that. Let's say you have not made a domain for yourself. All right? You're a named character, but you haven't built up a domain. Uh, every or any character of name level or greater is expected to spend a total amount of gold equal to 1% of their total earned experience every year on their own upkeep. Includes maintaining a household, servants, meals, throwing parties, you know, living the high life of a successful adventurer. You know, this upkeep cost is way for characters that build strongholds and other established domains, meaning that you've already got costs built somewhere else there. So, hey, look, we've got a thing already in here saying suck away some of that extra money that these players are just sitting on. <laughs> it's something a little different there. When you go through this, this area, you know, how many families do you have? Where does the income come from? How much do you expect? How do you go about conscripting troops? You know, what does that mean if some of the uh, area has inhabited by elves or dwarves or halflings? And not just is a halfling, you know, raising halflings up. But some other stuff in there. Difference between the companion and the rule cyclopedia does show up in here. Uh, in the rule cyclopedia, they give a larger size for the domain that the character is over. Uh, from the center part of your, or wherever your, whatever is your center hex. Uh, the size is 24 miles is the area that you patrol. Uh, rate 24 
mile radius. In RBX Companion, it's 18. Now, if you're talking mountains, jungles, and things like that, then it reduces down. Rule Cyclopedia says 8. RBX Companion says 6. And I thought that was a little weird, and then I went back and looked in, yep, in the original expert, it does say 18 and 6. So Rule Cyclopedia had changed some stuff up on us there. Not surprising. There is a section for the Dominion confidence. So how good of a ruler you're doing. Both Companion and Rule Cyclopedia have this information, but how it's handled is different. Uh, confidence is a 2d6 roll in the companion. You've got some additions and penalties in there. In the Rule Cyclopedia, it is a pretty crazy chart. Uh, looking for this, I mean, it was extremely, um, you know, crazy in my opinion when you started looking about dealing with it and you know the confidence that you have um, I want to say it was like between one in a thousand was the confidence check or something like that is the number that you'd have um, oh I'm sorry I, I let me give back it's from one to five hundred but could go above five hundred based upon different things that you do etc different events how much complexity do you want? You know? How much do you want in there? And quite honestly, you know, we hear about people complaining about high-level domain play and adjudicating those rules, and there are a number of products out there that have similar rules, uh, well, I should say similar rules, but rules for this that do their own flair. Uh, I reviewed one not long back that had one that was probably as complex, maybe slightly more complex than what the Rule Cyclopedia has. Different, definitely more, a good bit more granular in there as well. So, which way do you want to go? Keep it simple, a little more complex, maybe look at both of them, decide if there's an, a good in-between. The next section is on designing adventures. If you go back and look at basic rules, it talks about building a dungeon. Expert uh, rule set also does that, designing dungeon, but shortens it up a little bit. And there's also designing a wilderness. Well, in our companion, we've got designing adventures. So the word that they use here, or wording, is larger in scope. Meaning, not bigger, badder monsters, bigger hordes, but a greater risk, greater stakes involved, you know, affecting your domain or even the world, you know, could be possible. And that sounds reasonable once you start, if you want to go above 14th level, it should have a more, much more giant impact because you are probably the ultimate person the ultimate set of characters in that world and there's probably 
no one higher than you unless they're evil and been hiding for a while. So you have basically a five-step scenario, uh, five steps that you're going to do here to build an adventure. It is very much the same as what you saw in the basic and expert rule set. Uh, first part, choose a scenario, which is similar to what we have in the basic rules. And when you actually compare it, some of the parts of it are the same. Exploring the unknown, investigating an outpost of evil, recovering ancient ruins, destroying an ancient evil. Huh, that sounds a lot like in basic, exploring the unknown, investigating a chaotic outpost, recovering ruins, destroying an ancient evil. But we got a, a few that are a little bit different. Seeking what's been lost, fulfilling a quest, uh, this would be something that's handed down by the gods. Uh, discovering hidden enemies. So being being made aware of these machinations. Uh, to me, the Warhammer Fantasy roleplay, the whole Death on the Reich stuff, uh, the enemy within, Shadows over Bogenhofen, all that. You know, that is the hidden enemy, in my opinion. There. Uh, Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay holds a uh, special place in my heart. A uh, very good friend uh, led me to that game. I, I have always liked it. But that whole set right there, you know, hidden enemies back in there. So, yeah, that, I, that that's one that you should have. I mean, if you're ruling this domain, there's got to be somebody that's not happy with you and trying to take you down from the inside. Other some scenarios defending one's domain okay bring in the big bad or some other army whatever uh, investigating a magic gate so we're going to take you to some other dimension might be a good way to get rid of PCs and then rescuing one's loved ones I, I like the idea of finding family henchmen other things out there take them force these high-level characters to get off their butt and rescue somebody. You know, are they really, you know, do you really feel that that henchman's worth the money that you give him? Doesn't he do a lot for you? And then the other steps are very close to what you have in basic and expert. Decide on the setting, you know, where are you going to go with this? Decide on the antagonists. So, whatever special monsters you want to have in there. Uh, step D is the one that I think is the the good part. Decide on stakes. You know, you know if you're going to make a scenario, great. But part of this, what are the stakes? What happens in there? In my mind, uh, the module that TSR put out uh, Red Hand something or another what was that thing? yeah that's what it was Red Hand of Doom I, I knew I could remember that uh, more of a D&D &D 3E but uh, play or 3E 3.5 somewhere in there might be 3.5 um, but I saw somebody that had ported over to 5E um, and played, we played a, a, a small section of that. Um, and in there, 
part of the stakes are the fact that you know you got this town that's going to get overrun if you're not careful. Might be spoiling it for some people, but it really was interesting. You know, you have to make a choice as characters. Um, are you going to throw yourself at this mass of monsters with very little to stop you? I mean, we're talking there were thousands of monsters and you are only a handful of adventurers. There's one fight that we had in there that was two hellhounds something like eight bugbears or hobgoblins and a dragon. And believe you me we were we were up against it there. Now, you're thinking, wait a minute, a dragon? How many characters you have? Well, we only had four. And we don't have any real healers, so to speak. We actually had a barbarian, a paladin, a bard, and my character, the wild magic sorcerer. <laughs> uh, of course, wild magic sorcerer is an equalizer for a whole bunch of things and a destabilizer for the party. But we, you know, even with good play, you know, being intelligent about it, uh, how we went about it, we almost got taken out. You know, this was one, you know, we had the paladin went down. He had to make death saves, but we healed him up enough. The barbarian almost went to zero. The bard was down to less than a third of his original hit points and my character had his head changed from normal to a floating flaming skull so yeah kind of interesting in there uh, I digress there last thing draw maps so yeah I mean, again it's where are we covering what are we covering how big is it going to be Next section here is uh, titled Dragon Mastering as a Fine Art. Instead of Dungeon Mastering, it's Dragon Mastering as a Fine Art. Same things that we have in BX rule set. Um, more or less suggestions to improve your gameplay. Most of these are DM, don't be a jerk, be upfront about it. You gotta have players if you're gonna play. That's what they are. Uh, respect for all. I think we all understand that. Communicate clear objectives of play. Everybody that's yelling about um, session zero, why don't you just go ahead and communicate how we're going to play? You don't need no session zero. Just say, here's what's going to happen. Now, if we're doing a session zero where we're rolling up characters as we talk about this game and how we're doing it, cool. I understand that. But as a DM, you should tell them what type of game you're going to play. Players have free will. Player characters are the heroes. Expect the unexpected. I was waiting for the Spanish Inquisition to come in, but they didn't. Sorry. Um, absolute power corrupts absolutely. I mean, you, you listen, to the, oh, listen to your players. 
I mean, this is all, hey, look, DM, you got to have players. Think about them. They're the ones playing in this. You're creating this world, this scenario, and everything. They're the heroes. Doesn't matter if you're giving them a chance or not, but, you know, don't be that much of a jerk. But there is an interesting little piece in here as well. And the very last one of those little bolded title sections is called Take It Back. Sometimes a concept gets introduced that doesn't work for whatever reason. Something is too powerful or overwhelming or the monster is or a, a new class shows up and it takes away the spotlight. It's no longer fun and everything. As they say here, DMs shouldn't be afraid to admit when they've made a mistake in allowing or adding something to the game and should devise a way, perhaps in discussion with the players, as to how best to remove the item or addition from the game. Okay, cool. So, yeah, I mean, just helping us out there. Now, there's some other little optional ideas that they add in here. One about mortal wounds. If you hit zero, you know, zero hit points, they don't have to expire immediately. They're going to die. You cannot save them. You can bring them back from the dead later. But they're going to do those few little further actions, say words of farewell, blah, blah, blah. You know, <laughs> let's be all cinematic about it. Uh, there's a little bit about inheritance, about normal humans. When you read that little section, to me, it sounds like DCC, the whole zero-level funnel. That's what it is, normal human, let them adventure, and then all of a sudden, if they get enough... Uh, experience then they become a class okay that's it's not too bad there um, and also talks about the rave advancement if you want this to last longer mainly because as a DM you've been handing way way too much XP or treasure what can we do about it well here they talk about if you give too much treasure because that's where we get most of the XP from the treasure if you're handing out too much, start dividing it, you know, by a factor of whatever. So, yes, you, know, we, you just got 100,000 total gold in this layer. But for XP purposes, we're going to take that and divide it by a factor of 5 or 10. You know, slowing it down a little bit. You know, honestly, when you start getting up into, you need several hundred thousand XP to go up a level I don't think I'm in too much of a worry about it you know I think the pace ought to be kinda slow the next section is actually new it's labeled adding to your game and they're basically saying don't just default to the standard world. Make it what you want. How about instead of it being human-centric, make it elf-centric? And then say all of the other classes are basically humans with pointy ears or something. <laughs> Everybody has elven infravision and things like that. Or maybe you want it where, uh, let's see, as they listed here, dwarves are as magical as they are in Norse mythology. Okay, the interesting part that they go into here for three paragraphs 
was the phrase game balance. And he defines what he feels is game balance. And as his definition here in this instance, we take it to mean balancing of fun for all players. Role-playing games are games, and as games they have rules. The rules have been crafted to create a certain type of play environment. When tuning the rules to their own liking, DMs will need to make sure any new rules don't hinder the enjoyment of the game for some. Okay, so there we are. And I, I, I kind of like that, the game balance, because somebody might choose a specific character and or type of character and then gets absurd. That whole niche protection that I hear people complaining about and talking about. So, you know, everybody in our D&D party has something to do. The thief is the sneakier one that goes around there, not the one that's going to be out front fighting everything. I mean, I tell Jason Connolly to go look at his favorite Conan movie, the best example of a D&D party, right? Conan the Destroyer. Gotta have the sneaky little thief person there, right? You couldn't get anywhere without him. So, you know, gotta have thieves, Jason, sorry. But you can change things around. I mean, they're, they're not saying you're locked into it. I mean, this is advice that probably should have been in other books. It wasn't. And I'm saying probably by you know, the time we get to this, you know, 2009, when this is printed, this has been thought of for a while. It's finally just put into print. Now, they actually give you something to add to your game here. A, an optional new character class. And I don't like it. Why? Well, it's his version of the Bard. <laughs> yep, his version of the Bard. You know, I don't like the way Bards have become. You know, that whole jack-of-all-trades. Now, maybe I am a niche protectionist, but I don't really see a Bard as an adventurer, per se, to a degree. I mean, yeah, I get to I mean, I'll bring up Manly Wade Wellman stories, uh, the Silver John uh, stories by uh, Manly Wade Wellman there. So, yeah, I mean, you do have a bard, but, you know, I almost feel like he's a multi-class in, in many ways as well. So, you've got this new character class here. Interesting, the restrictions that they put on it, uh, Six-sided dice for hit points. Attack as a fighter. Saving throws as an elf. Can use anything, any weapon, wear any armor except plate mail. Don't use shields. Limited, and this is bold, this part is bold. They are limited to a maximum of 8th level of experience. He goes ahead and stops them right there. Because when they hit that point, it's their time to go create that college where they train the next generation of bards for whatever they're doing the buskers and so forth uh, special abilities cannot be used in yeah cannot be used in battle 
not be used in combat. Spell effects have to happen after playing has occurred for six rounds. And they give you certain spell-like effects. Uh, charm person, second level, sleep at third, dispel magic, which is one turn of playing, remove curse, one turn of playing, phantasmal force, one turn of playing, mass charm uh, at eighth level, which actually affects only 16 hit dice of creatures at the top end. So, yeah, kind of doing a little bit of everything. Do have some thief abilities, but they have them at a slightly, no, I'm sorry, they have it at the same level. But stopping at eighth level, not going to get you any further. So, yeah, I mean, if you want to have a whole bunch of bards running around, I guess you can. Not something that I think I would want to do there. Again, I'm not enamored with the bard, per se. Uh, I haven't looked this one up against other bard classes out there that maybe have made for BX, OSE. But this one feels... Uh, restricted enough to where it's not going to be overpowering uh, could fit in okay but we'll have to see uh, you do have two prime requisites in there let's see intelligence and dexterity you have to have a minimum of nine and charisma to be a bard so there is that yeah, if you want to add one, it's got in there. It does point out that if you add this character class, you have to get rid of the Master Bard monster. That was one of the monsters that we had in there. One last section in the Dragon Master's Info area, and it is titled Other Settings for a Fantasy Game. And several paragraphs here talking about you know, doing something different. You know, does it have to be Euro Eurocentric? How about make it, you know, based in feudal Japan or Greek or Bronze Age stuff? Or how about making it look more like John Carter of Mars or Marion Zimmer Bradley's Dark Over books or Anna Caffrey's Pern novels? They do list this in here. Uh, or even make it sound like John Gorman, uh, John Norman's gore series uh, no, Jason's getting a chuckle out of that again don't be restricted by the, the normal trope you know figure it out yourself make something a little different do your own world building you know maybe this is go through these normal adventures and then use some sort of magic to put them in this brand new world let them figure out all this new stuff, kind of like John Carter of Mars, and then take over. You know, you could see that. That'd be kind of fun. Yeah. Maybe outer space does have breathable air. Yeah. Or maybe it's like Spelljammer or something like that. Yeah. Or maybe your campaign world is, let's see, as they listed here, the interior of a hollow planet. Or the world is flat. 
you know, do what you want. And the last uh, part right here in this section, the last two sentences. It's your game. Go play. So I haven't really talked about the rule cyclopedia for the last several sections. Was there something that I should have said in there? Um, well, honestly, when you get into it, there it has its own set of rules, its own guidelines, let me say. I shouldn't say rules, guidelines for designing adventures. Very similar to what was listed in your original BX. In fact, it's five steps as well. It has its own... Uh, dragon mastering, excuse me, dungeon mastering rules in there, what you should be doing. Uh, also goes over uh, adding to the game as you want, taking away. I mean, what does Rule Cyclopedia have? Well, we've got two additional player character classes in there. You've got the Druid and the Mystic. We've also got... Um, weapon mastery and skills in the rule cyclopedia so there's some you know it, it's got some additional things there i mean maybe you want it the skills uh actually can fit into your bx stuff fairly well uh weapon mastery we've got that in the companion talking about that a little bit but not not to the extent that they have here and i know not everybody likes weapon mastery some people do uh Oh, going back to the character classes, Druid and Mystic. Uh, Druid, you only become a Druid after your Cleric of Ninth level, neutral Cleric of Ninth level, decides to move over to being Nature Person. And Mystic is somewhat similar to a Monk. Um, you know, do meditation, uh, mastery of the human body, and so forth. You know, their spiritual growth. So... Yeah, I mean, if you really want to have that in there. That Mystic, having looked at it, um, I'm not enamored with it, but it's their version of the Monk. And if you really want to have that in your environment, then, uh, hey, look, yeah, go ahead. It's your game. Have fun. So, yeah, there's a lot of advice in the Rule Cyclopedia for adding on and how to do a lot of these things. So, yeah, I didn't really cover them at that point here because we know I knew they were in there. I uh, just wanted to point out the parts that really were different enough. That ends up part eight. Thank you for listening. We have one more part, Special Adventures, and... Then I will, and actually Special Ventures is going to be really simple because it's just one page. I thought about adding it here, but I wanted some time to kind of digest everything that I've read over there. And, you know, give you a chance to digest this episode as well. Also, lots of people will be, uh, I should say lots of people will be. Uh, we've had a number of call-ins. Jason Connolly have been busy hearing things and commenting on them so you'll probably see a lot of calling companions because you're calling collectives sorry you don't even know the name of my own show calling collectives 
with lots of comments and still waiting for some people to catch up because I know how you get behind unless you're Ray Otis and you've already caught up with everything. So yeah, one more part here and kind of a, a recap and what we think. But I think you pretty much have already decided where you're going at this point. Thank you for hanging out and listening to this rambling on. Look forward to coming up with new things for you guys to possibly listen to me about. So I'm going to get up. I'm going to take the dogs out. It's about time for his dinner anyway. Y'all have a good time. If you really thought I was going to do a podcast talking about one page in a book, you're crazy. (laughs) I got outside and was sitting there with the dog as they're doing their business and you know mortal combat in the back of my mind going finish him finish him you know and i'm like yeah we're done let's put this puppy to bed so what is part nine here it is listed as special adventures uh, ask you to consider the following like inventing cosmologies and this is basically saying what dimensions or planes of existence do you have in your world you know and they give you some inspiration some uh, ideas to look at like Dante's Divine Comedy Trilogy of which the Inferno is just one of the books in there you know hell is real has nine layers heavens above us bounded by purgatory Right? They list about Norse mythology as well. So, you know, figure out a cosmology that means something to you. Where are these other planes? Because that's where these 15th level characters are going to go. That's where some of this bad stuff might be coming from. It asks you to consider what these other planes are like. What laws work there. Are there certain natural laws that work, certain natural laws that don't work? And what happens when these characters move away from the prime material plane of existence? Do their abilities function differently? Could it just be a different dimension and it does change things? I remember the book's uh, and all of a sudden it just escaped my mind as I start talking about it. The Robert Asprin Myth series. Myth Adventures, Myth Inc., Myth Inc. in Action, and how there are all these different planes of existence that the characters get through and everything with these different gates, etc., so, you know, it's pretty fun stuff in there. But different rules. Different rules. You know, and for them, basically, it was how prevalent magic is, how prevalent the uh, ley lines are, how strong they are. So, uh, you know, a lot of 
pieces that you can add there. But you know, add that in there. How do you get to these other planes? You know, they talk about either using the ninth level spell gate, or there's a magical gate, or maybe the you know the boundary between these two planes are weak in certain areas. It even lists uh, ability talking about astral projection. You know, if you want to add that in there, which by the way, um, if you're doing astral projection, they're talking about you are vulnerable, or the wizard is vulnerable to attack. You gotta make sure he's protected. But what happens to his astral projection? Could it be attacked? You know, could something come back into his body at that point? So, you know, not letting you. Rest on your laurels there. And that, ladies and gentlemen, finishes up the BX Companion Deep Dive. Overall, I would say that if I was going to hit the higher levels, yeah, let's let's do that. I'd even take this book as it is and take the treasure charts out of it. Rework them a little bit. Take some of the monsters out of here. Use them for what I'm going to use them for. And I don't have to say, oh, it's only high level. We can add some of these bad boys in right now. So, yeah, good book. If you're going to go high up, go ahead and grab it. It bolts in better than Rule Cyclopedia. Though Rule Cyclopedia does have a few things in it that I think are going forward. The spells list that they have, which... Might as well, you know, collect them up as as you are. We already mentioned that. Maybe changing a character or two. But overall, yeah, companion. Decent rule set if you're getting that high level. Not everybody is. I do think that it would be an interesting, say, three, four arc, three, four adventure arc at a high level just to see what absurdness you could come up with. At that point, if I was going to do that, I actually would use the Rule Cyclopedia um, in that process, because inside the Rule Cyclopedia, you've got a section on creating uh, characters, uh, high-level characters, and I'm trying to look for it while I'm sitting here talking about it. I thought I had it right here in front of me, but that's not to be the case. But as you go through and you know have these high-level characters, um, or how you, know, how you create high-level characters... And it's got several steps in there. Find uh, normal equipment. Um, typically, it talks about with equipment and everything, give them a certain amount of gold and then work from there, buying things. Uh, figure out how you want to give them magic items as well. You know, have everything kind of set up for that. So, and they go in talking about how to do this for NPCs, but, you know, why not a regular PC? So, it sounds like something, 
you can do again. It's right there in the rule cyclopedia. I believe I've seen similar type rules in other rule sets as well. So when Jason Connolly decides to he's gonna run D and D, he's just gonna run that high level you know, D and D campaign, three or four you know, three or four sessions of high level hijinks. There we go. <laughs> no, I wouldn't force Jason to run D and D. Might hurt his sensibility. That'd be trying to ask him to run GURPS or something, I guess. This is the true end of the BX Deep Dive. Once again, appreciate you being here. Stay safe out there. Make smart decisions. Don't be dumb. And we're heading in towards that time of year where we're getting into uh, holidays. So Halloween, you know, kind of peeking its head up on the horizon. Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's. Wow. We are just about three quarters the way done with 2021. This has been a long, strange year, starting in 2019. We'll see you in the future. Be good, be safe, and play nice with others. Otherwise, they don't want to play any more games with you.